Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. So, Simone, I know tax season is approaching, you know, or we're in tax EPA. season. Yeah. April 15th, yes. he is. Yes. So, my whole life has been dictated by tax season. This my would be a really stressful time in the Terrio household. Yes, absolutely. And my sister also works for my dad, and she had a baby on April 2nd. It was not ideal timing. For Did she get back to the accounting <laughs> yeah, right, right after? Right, right away. Right well, away. the reason I bring that up is because I've been doing some accounting of, of yeah. my own, and I found out that this is actually episode 49. <laughs> so next episode will be our 50th. I love it. No, the running joke is always going to be that we're at episode 49. Like, yeah. we, just, <laughs> we can never get to 50. Hey, you know, some people would pay a lot of money for that to be the case, but... I no. do want to rehash last week's episode 49. Yeah, it was <laughs> I loved great. It. Yeah, I loved having both Scott and Garrett on. It was really great. I've known both of those guys for a little while, and it was really great to have them on. And, you know, yeah, such a privilege to hear from, you know, two leaders, one kind of in government and Congress, another kind of on the uh, uh, industry side. And speaking of that, you know, we were bringing industry and voice, community voices and others to government this week. We had Coastal Day at the legislature. Yeah, it's always uh, interesting to go to the Capitol. It's such a beautiful building, first off. It was it was a beautiful day that we went up. Um, and we had quite a crowd, quite a crowd attend. Um, we started out the, the day with a panel. Who was on the panel? I was. Mm-hmm. I put the panel together, so that's <laughs> kind of not fair. Um, but uh, we had a lot of people in the room. They had like, you know, well over 60 people in the room. And um, that's great. I mean, that's people we needed to hear about, you know, how we're going to pay for the plan. It's a big topic. And it's, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in the mm-hmm. audience. Thank so I, I heard. I um, want my bestie there. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I heard, you know, the conversation and it's interesting because we've had some of the guests on the show to talk about these things, everything from environmental impact bonds to pay for success, um, you know, to the work that Restore Retreat is doing at looking at the financing and how do you kind of plan effectively and to hear it all in kind of one setting from all those people and to hear like, wow, okay, it is a big challenge, right? How do you pay for these projects? We need more money, of course, but to see that so many people are working on this across so many you know, industries or so many, you know, uh, skills. Yeah, that, and that's that what is- we wanted to leave people with. Um, because we only talk about it in pieces and parts sometimes, um, sometimes it is harder to see the bigger picture. And we wanted people to realize that the state is being proactive and they're working on um, the known funding streams that we have, but they're also looking at um, non-traditional ways to fund. And it was really great. It was great for me, and I, I, I do it more often than not. But I mean, it was great for me to even hear it all in one setting. And there were some updates. Uh, Quite a few of us have some things coming out in very short time. And so it was great to kind of hear the update too. And so Robin Barnes, I love her to death, was like, we're taking this on the road. Yeah, it's a road show. And she's with Greater New Orleans, (laughs) Orleans Inc. We'll have to have her on as well. We've had Lacey in the past. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And so the rest of the day, we we heard from the governor. Yes, we sure did. They are well attended by the coastal Mm -hmm. legislators. I must say they had several that were able to kind of sit down panel style in front of us. But then uh, it was also missed that we had quite a few walk in at the end and and stand in the back of the room that didn't want 
want to, you know, make a big scene and walk up to the front of the room. But we had quite a few um, distinguished guests come in, people of importance. And so it's good to hear from them because they do have a decision-making role in, in what we do. Um, they do approve the annual plan, uh, which was, um, you know, started out in some committees today. But they also have a couple of other opportunities. Um, they vote on, you know, HB1 and 2 and some other expenditure plans that the state has as well. So it's good to kind of think through to remember about the process. And, you know, there are a few coastal bills going mm-hmm. through the legislature this session, so maybe we'll hear more about them in a future episode. We also had the opportunity to roll out our 360 yeah. video, which yes. was so cool. It was great. It was great. I'm sorry that we uh, we can't. I feel like the Wine and Spirits show where, you know, they drink on air and you can't see it or taste it. So we could talk about 360 a little, but hopefully people will have an opportunity to be able to experience that in person. Yeah, absolutely. It's really We're going to try it to take it on the road as well and make it available and we'll keep you posted. I mean, you can go to Mississippi so River Delta how were org slash 360. How were people's reactions? You know, it was so interesting to see, you know, they had some young kids there mm-hmm. who, which was awesome, you know, high school kids and others that were younger. They're giving up their spring break to go and say mm-hmm. like, Hey, coastal restoration is important for right? me. I'm the future of the state. Um, and they, they did it and they loved it. And then there was like an older gentleman who, you know, was a security guard or something at the <laughs> Capitol. And he was there with, you know, the headset on and, everyone was kind of blown away by it. So we were very pleased um, and we hope to be able to share it with more people. Yeah, um, it was. it's, it's always fun to watch people, yeah. although you don't want to know, people to know that we're watching them watch something in their head. But it was really great. I think, um, you know, we always talk about this coastal's a little bit of a struggle. You know, not everybody can make it to the marsh and not everybody has field trips like you and I do uh, that we're, we're so lucky to have. But this really immerses you so totally in that experience that no matter if you're from Louisiana or anywhere else, you can you can really get the feel. But it also was augmented by the cool ways that we can show, you know, this is what the river really does. And this is what this creates. Right. So um, very, very cool use of technology. Cool. And you'll hear more about it. Um, you can go to Mississippi River Delta dot org slash 360 and check it out. You can watch it on your phone or computer. Mm-hmm. If you have a headset, that's that mm-hmm. preference. Um, but yeah, um, other big news happening this Monday, you know, and as far as one of our big restoration mm-hmm. projects that we track and Definitely. talk a lot about, a lot, a lot about the mid barataria sediment diversion. Yeah, I thought some of the articles that came out after it were really great, too, because it framed it up as, okay, what does this mean? <laughs> right? It's you know, a little we, wonky. Yeah, but yeah, we talk about progress and, you know, good news and things like that. And um, th- this is one thing that shouldn't be missed. And, you know... So basically the news is that the state and others have been working to get this project permitted. It can't come soon enough. You know, we need to be able to use the river and the sediment to restore our wetlands. Um, But of course, you know, it's a complicated project. It has to, you know, cut through, excuse me, federal levies. Um, It goes into waterways, you know. So um, a lot of organizations have been doing a lot of work to try to expedite the project based on the urgency that is required, but in an environmentally responsible manner. And so the state and the Corps announced that they had reduced the permitting timeline by two years, which right. is huge. And I mean, our coalition put out a statement that basically said, you know, in a, in a state where we're measuring land loss by the hour, 
gaining two years is huge. Right. And and I thought um, I thought uh, several people made a very good job about clarifying that this does not mean we're cutting corners. This actually means that we're being more efficient and effective, um, you know, because of the way that coastal Louisiana is made up, that some of these things can happen concurrently, that it shouldn't have to be sequential, too. So I thought I thought it was a good opportunity for us to explain that even as environmental organizations, you know, we support expediting, but we don't support cutting corners. And that is not what this is intended mm-hmm. to do. And this is, I mean, it recognizes it's an environmental restoration mm-hmm. project that's seeking to, you know, restore the ecosystem that's desperately uh, disappearing and has been, you know, so badly damaged by many things. Well, other news, I don't know, did you see that awesome op-ed in The Advocate I by um, Johnny Bradbury, who's I chairman did. of CPRA? I, I thought that was a great follow-up to to the news on Monday, and, and it, it just kind of, like I said, put it in a, a different spin and term on, you know, okay, what that decision meant, but also what that project means uh, in the greater picture as yeah. well. Too. And I think, I mean, one of the great parts of the op-ed, you know, talking about how diversions have been studied for so long, decades, every right. plan has said, we need them. We need yeah. them if we're going to have a sustainable future here in, in Southeast Louisiana. Um, and the op-ed says, we will always keep studying and reviewing our data and results, but the time for action on these diversions has arrived. We wait longer at our own peril. Right. I love that. Right. And that, that's the point that we, that we make every day, but it, it's def- certainly nice for um, someone in a leadership position to also clarify that and, and to say that. Um, but like I said, it, w- it was a good week in terms of like communicating. I yeah. Thought. Yeah. Well, and we'll have to keep folks posted on progress through the legislature. Um, we're going to have our guest coming up on the next segment tonight or today. We're talking about charismatic megaflora. Yes. The live oak. I've been waiting 49 episodes for this. What is more iconic than the live oak, you know, to Louisiana? So um, we have an expert who has traveled all over the state. Very cool. Photographing, documenting, um, you know, recording live oaks, some of the oldest live oaks in our state. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what that's like um, and what live oaks tell us about the health of our environment. We're going to be back with William Guion, who's a photographer with Live Oak Images. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We'll be right back after the break. Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important. The Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems 
focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malas with Restore or Retreat. Just real quick, you know, we had a fan this week, too. We did. Another one. Another like one. Like, we're at least up to four. I heard also that someone else was a fan, too. So mm-hmm. we're getting up there. Our numbers are getting up there. If you are a fan, if you like our podcast, please go to deltadispatches.org. Rate us. Subscribe and rate us. Mm-hmm. It, it's a huge help. Um, and we appreciate everyone that listens every week. Um, so today we are talking about one of the most charismatic megaflora that exists in Louisiana. Waiting. The live waiting. oak tree. Um, we have William Guyon, who's a photographer with Live Oak Images. Um, William has photographed the Louisiana landscape and Live Oaks for more than 30 years. Um, his works, uh, including oak trees, photography, and others have appeared in book jacket designs from publishers including Scribner, Simon & Schuster, Crown Books, Random House, HarperCollins. No big deal. No big deal. Um, as well as a ton of magazines, including Country Roads, Louisiana Life, Journal of International Oak Society, etc., etc., Welcome so much to Delta Dispatches, William. Good afternoon. So we're so excited to have you on the show. Where are you calling from? Uh, Thibodeau. Oh, ah, Simone's neck of I the woods. I just love Thibodeau, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have on an, the bayou. Uh-huh, exactly. We, uh, so Restore a Retreat has an office on Nichols campus, and I am a yeah. Nichols alumna. Am I an alumna? I'm yeah. an alumna. Alumni. Alumni. Yeah. Alumni. Thank alumni. you. Yeah. Well, I am as well. Very nice. Very nice. Well, it's great to have you on the show. There's certainly no shortage of beautiful trees in Thibodeau. Uh, no. The Bayou Lafouche area is, is fortunate to have a lot of uh, old live oaks still hanging on here. So, William, um, I know that you do a, a Lafouche oak tour, and we want to talk about that in a little bit. But let, sure. first of all, let's just set the stage, right? Like, why is the live oak so iconic in Louisiana? And it's not the state tree. That's the bald cypress, mm-hmm. which we also love. But why sure. is it such an iconic representation of Louisiana? Um, well, you don't see a lot of people um, picnicking under um, bald cypress trees. Uh, you got to admit. Um, but personally, the live oak symbolically represents or reflects some of the most distinctive characters of the cultures and the people that has settled this area in the South. And I think people intuitively uh, relate to that, to the strength of the live oak. Because the people that settled here represented um, strength of character and resilience and patience and and even a, a hearty nature. Because um, live oak is often considered a, a, an evergreen, even though it's not really. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, they are blooming right now in New Orleans, <laughs> as my allergies tells me. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I totally understand that. I love walking through City City Park and just, you know, going through the uh, Live Oaks, checking them out. It's it's such a beautiful experience. But um, so you have spent quite a while, thirty years, traveling across the state, documenting um, Live Oaks and for photo- photography. What have you learned in that experience? What has that been like? Oh gosh, um, well, I've learned that uh, even something that can be centuries old doesn't necessarily live forever. Um, there, um, and live oaks need to be cared for, um, either in urban settings or, or rural settings to, to enjoy having live oaks around and to continue enjoying them for future generations. We, we really need to pay a, a little bit of attention to them and to their care, um, because otherwise we lose them. Yeah, and I mean, on that note, we have seen, and Simone and I spend a lot of time driving down, you know, to coastal areas, and you don't have to go very far, and you see those, what we call ghost oaks, right? They're kind of uh, almost petrified oak trees. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, probably what you're you're seeing is oaks that have been growing in in coastal regions where they've had um, salt water that's encroached into those areas, and even though oaks are, are really resilient to floodwaters or standing water over long periods of time, they don't hold up under saltwater encroachment. And the wood is so strong, has such a strong tensile strength, that uh, the, the oak stumps or the oak uh, trees will continue standing there for up to decades. Um, they're oaks, and they're kind of um, they're kind of sad-looking skeletons on the on the landscape. Uh, but they're a sign of something much more serious that's happening, and that's the loss of coastal areas. Yeah. So they're they're they were otherwise healthy trees that that yes. right, and so that that's one of the reasons why they're still standing. They were just exposed to higher salinities. It wasn't like. You know, like some other trees, you know, especially in New Orleans, like maybe they rot from within or, or something like that. That's not yeah, the case exactly. here. They were otherwise healthy trees on ridges, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, the coastal areas were formed um, by oak trees. The the chenets, the mm-hmm. ridges of sand and, and shells that built up along the coast from action of the waves were helped, uh, kept in place by oaks growing on them. And then the land would fill in between the ridges, and we would have coastal area that that grew up and habitats, and um, it's all part of the formation of the the ecology along our coast. So, so what kind of habitat do live oaks need to thrive? You said they're otherwise hardy trees, and they're sound, yeah. sound like you said. I think they were pretty tolerable, right? So, what what is an ideal yeah. habitat? Live oaks. I'm not an arborist, but <laughs> I, I just have I've listened to a lot of arborists over time. Uh, live oaks can grow in a variety of soil types. They prefer sedimentary soil, and and you find them because they're hardwood. You'll find them on high ground generally, uh, with a ready access to water, like what's found found along Louisiana's bayous and lakes. But you also find them along the coastal ridges. Um, where the acorns have washed in, and they take root uh, in that sandy soil that uh, you find along the coast. 
It's interesting. Yeah, and you hear those yeah. stories of the chenilles where they were covered with oak trees and, and you know, uh, how important those areas were for protecting communities and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, you can seeing kind of those ghost oaks again, it's a reminder. It's like, wow, there, there were communities here. There were, you know, the habitat was very different at some point. And so it's such a stark kind of reminder of the, the threats that we're facing. So, William, yeah. when you were little William, what drew you to li- <laughs> live oak trees? When I was little, actually, when I started uh, getting serious about photography, probably in the mid-80s, I was taking uh, uh, workshops, several workshops. I'm a communications major, okay. um, and I was introduced to photography in college. Um, but one of my first teachers uh, suggested to me that if I wanted to make stronger, more meaningful photographs, that I should, um, I should start a series on something that I cared about photograph it over and over and over and I would learn not only more about the technical aspects of photography but I would learn more about what attracted me to the things that I cared about and he said eventually and hopefully your feelings begin to show through in in the work that you do well 30 something years later uh, I'm still photographing oak trees so um, you must have also seen photography change too, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, how yeah. <laughs> amazing, right? Are yeah, you I, are you still an old school camera guy, or have you adopted I, to digital I have, photography? I have one foot in both. I uh, I started out photographing using uh, what are called view cameras, the old large mm-hmm. cameras with large films, and I have um, over time made the transition to digital cameras, but I still uh, still use film um, because they're different and they'll probably always be different and there will probably always be film around to some degree or other. And I, I enjoy the qualities of both. Well, William, um, we're about to head into a break, but do you mind hang, hanging on for one more segment? Sure. And tell yeah, us, what's your website and where can people go to actually see your photographs and, and, and learn more about you? Uh, my website is uh, www.williamguyon.com, all one word, and it's uh, William, G-U-I-O-N.com. Um, they can also visit my blog, The Hundred Oaks Project. You just Google Hundred Oaks Project, you'll find it. Great. And we're going to... We're going to talk about the 100 Oaks Project as soon as we get back from the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We'll be right back with William Guyon. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz. We're here every Thursday on 990 WGSO and online, www.deltadispatches.org. We're here today discussing the iconic Louisiana, well, it's not iconic to Louisiana, but it's iconic in Louisiana, Live Oak, um, and a man who has spent decades documenting them um you know as a reflection of our culture and environment william guyon um with live oak images so william um we on delta dispatches like to do a fun question Fun question time and we don't want to put you on the spot but we're going to put you on the spot okay so you can't say live oak what is your other favorite tree 
My other favorite tree. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, redwoods. Mm, oh, I love the redwoods. I saw that. Answer. You're from California, right? No, I, I lived and worked in California for about seven years. So, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, good choice. The redwoods, I love, I've spent some time up there, and I love going to Mirror Woods, and yeah. it's just such yeah. a beautiful... So we could have a redwood versus sequoia discussion, huh? <laughs> Maybe If we were on a different coast, I guess we could have that. But since we're on the Gulf Coast, right, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about live oaks. Let's talk about, can we talk about Spanish moss? So it's- I have a funny story about Spanish moss, which is growing up, I don't know if you had a similar experience, Simone, but... You know, I used to love grabbing the Spanish moss from the tree and like, you know, putting my hair and bringing it inside. And my mom would say, you can't do that. It has lice in it. And so there's this big debate in my family because all my sisters and I feel this way. But then other family members were like, no, she was just telling you that because she didn't want life uh-huh. or, you know, she didn't want moss in the house. People used to make mattresses and stuff out of it. So can you... I think they used to wash it and stuff. Yeah. And pillows. Yeah. But it's like a fungus. Anyway, can you right? confirm or deny whether live moss have <laughs> lice in them? <laughs> It makes the tree more beautiful, but tell us what you know about Spanish moss so we can make Jacques sleep better. (laughs) Spanish moss is actually a cousin of the pineapple. Oh, get Uh, out. Yeah, it's an epiphytic plant. It lives off of uh, nutrients in the air, doesn't do any harm, uh, doesn't draw any nourishment from the tree. I didn't know that. And it probably doesn't have lice in it. (sighs) Lice need need a a warm-blooded animal (sighs) body to um, live on. Okay, well, thank uh, you for... Uh, I can now go start bringing... Well, they do have other critters. That, other uh, critters. Other critters. <laughs> you like, heard that? Uh, <laughs> Jock? Continue, Yuck. continue. Yeah, other critters, like spiders. Okay. Spiders live, live, yeah, spiders, and maybe... Um, Oh, not lice, but um, mites. Oh. Maybe she said mites. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, Jacomo, just be Jacomo. careful with your, your Spanish moss. Maybe leave it on the tree. It's, it's a lot prettier that way. Um, so tell us a little bit about the 100 Oaks Project. What, what is it and why did you start it? Uh, in about 2007, I was working on a, a magazine article about the... I was documenting the original... Uh, 43 member trees of the Live Oak Society, which was founded in 1934. And what I found, or didn't find, was that um, 30% of those trees were gone uh, in just about 75 years. And uh, that kind of surprised and shocked me. And, and the more I looked around, the more I found that we were losing a lot of the old trees uh, due not necessarily to storms and eroding coastline, but to development. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have laws in the state that protect um, old trees from being removed if a developer or someone else wants to cut down a tree. Um, So the Live Oak Society does uh, a great deal to raise awareness about the importance of the history and culture of live oaks, and they do as much as anyone can to help um, protect trees. Um, They're a a great organization, and they have grown over the years to now more than 8,500 member trees around the the south, southeast. Um, But we don't have laws. There are some uh, local communities that have restrictions about uh, historic and old trees, but uh, they can be cut down and lost. Yeah, we. Uh, I live in a neighborhood where you 
have to ask before you cut a tree down, right? I mean, and and that's a thing. And I think for if you do cut it down, you still have to replant a tree. So I think we live yeah. just in a little enclave that, but we have some some really beautiful old trees, and I think mm-hmm. that uh, is just a kind of localized effort to protect yeah. it. So. And- Old trees have their own importance, uh, even when they're replaced by younger trees. Mm-hmm. Old trees have an entirely different eco uh, system that uh, lives around them and what they do to the soil to help uh, uh, clean the water, to help uh, generate new growth of other plants. They're, uh, they're real important. Right. And, yeah. And yes. their bird habitat. Uh, yeah. Yes. All of that. Birds and lots of other animals. What is the oldest oak tree that you've come across? Well, we're fortunate enough in Louisiana to have the what's considered the oldest oak tree in the country, oldest live oak tree. Um, It's the Seven Sisters Oak, and it's located in Mandeville across the lake. Uh, It's considered the oldest, but... uh, Judging the, the age of an oak is very difficult mm-hmm. based on um, where it's grown, whether it has other trees around it competing for sunlight and, and nutrients in the soil. But the Seven Sisters is the largest oak, and it's almost 40 feet in circumference. Um, and it's about, I think, about 160 or 170 feet across the canopy. Uh, and it's the president of the Live Oak Society, and it's also the national <laughs> champion of um, got a pedigree. trees. Yeah. So is so, it it's yeah. obviously protected? I mean, someone someone takes care of Seven Sisters. Uh, it's it's in the yard of uh, some private individuals, and yeah, they take good care of it. <laughs> that's that's so interesting to know right across the lake. Yeah. So yeah. so so you yeah. and um and and there are a number of other. Uh, kind of very old oak trees as well across the state. Um, and you oh, detail yeah. that on your website, is that correct? Yeah. I, uh, in 2015, I, I kind of focused on finding the all the trees that I could find that were either 30 feet in circumference or larger, um, because those were are the very oldest. And it was for another magazine article where I was talking about trees that were possibly growing here before Europeans ever arrived. Uh, before America was considered America. Um, so I found about 25 of those trees of that size around the state, and they're kind of scattered around, mostly along bayous, uh, lakes, near waterways. Um, if someone's interested, that's all in my uh, blog, The 100 Oaks Project. I document a lot of those trees around the state and how I found them. And And you also tell people how to measure, correct? I mean, that doesn't seem like the easiest thing to do, but you do. One one of the things that I find is that um, I found were a lot of trees were mismeasured. Uh, um, A friend told me that um, sometimes it's like big fish stories. People tend to (laughs) exaggerate the size of their trees. And some trees are just hard to measure because of the way that they grow. Live oaks are like people. They have lots of different shapes and sizes. And the, the standard procedure is to measure at breast height. They're about four and a half feet off the ground. You measure the circumference. But sometimes there are vines and like uh, poison ivy 
and other things growing. There's there's gnarls in the wood. There are branches that come off of the tree. So it, it can be a challenge to get uh, close to finding the tree's waste, which what you're looking for in circumference. So we're here in New Orleans, right? And I think a lot of people, there are tons of live oaks around the city. It's one of the things that I think make it makes it so beautiful and that people love about it. Um, you know, I guess estimate for the live oak that someone is seeing maybe at City Park, at Audubon Park, you know, maybe not the biggest one, but some of the bigger ones that are out there. How old would you estimate them to be? The parks, Audubon and, and City Park, have some of the oldest trees in the city. Uh, and several of the ones in those parks would probably date back to 1770, when, when some of the first plantations were, were being uh, set up, or earlier. So they could be easily 200, 250 years old or older. Um, and... It's hard to say, as I said, because uh, when, a tree, when a live oak tree is growing within a, a woods, a wooded area, they will grow much slower than a tree that's standing out in a field growing by itself. It'll grow much faster. So, William, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the um, Lafouche Oak Tour, given yeah, that we, we have... can't let them go yeah. without yeah. chit-chatting about We've got that. two Thibodeau uh, folks on, uh, on the air right now. But then also, yeah. I want to hear about your upcoming book, but we do have to head into a break, so we'll be right back um, shortly after the break. Um, thank you so much for staying with us, and we'll be back. You're yeah. listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. I'm proving why Jacques never lets me open the break. Caught you off guard there. I'm Jacques <laughs> well, we were Gaber talking with about <laughs> in the movie Cocoon, which is a good one. I'll have to revisit some point. Yes, yes. So uh, welcome back to the show, William. Uh, we do absolutely have to talk about um, some things that some very cool things that you're doing in Lafouche. Tell us more about the Lafouche Live Oak Tour. The uh, Lafouche Live Oak Tour. Um, I created through a grant from the Bayou Lafouche Convention and Visitors Bureau. I pitched them on the idea that um, every old oak along the bayou has a story to tell, a human story. And if you tell the history of the tree, you end up getting an overview of the history of the settlement of Bayou Lafouche. And they they just thought that was a a great idea. So um, the tour... Um, documents uh, specifically old trees along Bayou Lafouche and and their history, and people can take the tour. It's a self-guided driving tour, Um, and you can go online and use the information on the tour website, or they have brochures available through the Convention and Visitors Bureau office in Matthews. Very neat, very neat. I know Timothy Bush down there and Marguerite Knight have a lot to do with that, and so uh, it's something that they all should be very proud of. Thank you for doing that. Sure, sure. And it's um, I'm still working on it. It's not uh, completely done yet. Well, maybe we'll have to do a field trip. I can come visit mm-hmm. Simone's office in Thibodeau, mm-hmm. and then we can do a, a trip out on the tour. What are some of the main things you think people would learn on the tour about kind of the settlement of, of Lafouche? Uh, they would probably be surprised by how many old oaks uh, are still along by Lafouche. And the way that uh, communities have kind of 
collected around a lot of the old trees. The old trees were were protection. They were um, shade. They were shelter. And they were generally on high ground, which is where uh, most of the people preferred to settle. Well, I'll tell you, on a Louisiana summer, there's nowhere I'd rather be other than an inside with an air conditioning than under an oak tree. With Spanish moss mm-hmm. on your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, William, in addition to your photographs appearing in m- numerous publications and books, they're also in museums, um, including some here. Where, where can people see some of your photographs around town? Actually, uh, around town, the New Orleans Museum of Art has some of my work probably buried in, in one of their portfolios. Uh, the Louisiana Folklife Museum in Baton Rouge, Louisiana State Museum in Baton Rouge, all, they both have my photos. I don't have a gallery in Baton Rouge right now. My uh, gallery in Louisiana is in Baton Rouge, the Taylor Clark Gallery. But um, people can see a lot of my work online through my website. Uh, it has pretty comprehensive um, um, group of, of my work and on the 100 Oaks Project blog. Um, Can you give us that information those. again for the listeners? Sure. Um, my website is williamguyan.com, all in word, William Guyan, and the uh, uh, blog is the 100 Oaks Project. If you just Google that, you'll uh, find the, the blog address. It comes up real easily. And you have a book coming out soon, is that correct? Are you working uh, on a book? I'm, I'm working. I'm working on a new one. It's um, uh, called Alley. It's on uh, historic oak alleys in Louisiana. I focus on the tradition of uh, planting oaks in alleys, and specifically, I, I uh, give pictures, photographs of three different uh, historic oak alleys around the state: the uh, Quarters Alley at Evergreen Plantation the alley at Oak Alley Plantation, and uh, the alley along the entrance road to Afton Villa Gardens. Oh, that's that's a beautiful, yeah, that's a beautiful space uh, in St. Francisville. I highly recommend people go yeah. check it out. Um, beautiful gardens. There's another one. I don't know. You, you're likely familiar with it, but it relates to the guest we're having on next week's show. Um, we're having Chris Haynes from uh, Dockville Farms and the Marrow Foundation, which is in Marrow. And there's a beautiful, um, through on St. Bernard Highway, a beautiful uh, alley of oaks that people drive through every day. Um, and it, they were planted there by Dr. Marrow. Oh, that's cool. Right. Yeah, I'm aware of it. And, and I photographed it before. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful group of trees. Great. Well, William, um, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, for talking to us about one of Louisiana's most iconic trees, if not most iconic. I mean, I I love the bald cypress, but I also very much love the live oak. Um, And yeah, it was just so interesting to hear about you, about your photography and how, um, you know, it helps us understand our environment. Thank you much. I I appreciate being on. Thank you, William. Thank you. Good day. So, Jacques. How's the quiz going? We started the quiz with BJ last week. We didn't finish the quiz. The quiz is doing very well. I mean, it has gotten so much engagement. People are just all about it. You know, um, we've had a lot of people sign up on our email list as a result. Oh, very good. um, Yeah, it's a great, it's a fun quiz. And you can go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash quiz and find out what kind of Louisianan you are. And y'all have some coastal stewardship coming up at yeah. Audubon. Yeah, so, you know, the oak trees are in bloom, <laughs> uh, the pollen's circulating, but also the birds are returning. So, um, we have... I saw, I saw Katie Percy's, um, that some of her birds have returned. Yeah, so uh, Katie Percy, who's our avian biologist we've had on the show, um, she tracks prothonotary warblers around the state. And these are little tiny warbler birds, they're yellow, that 
fly, you know, from Louisiana, a lot of times nonstop across the Gulf. They'll stop in Cancun. They'll go to Cuba, then make their way on down to Colombia. I know. I'm like, how do I get on that? You know, (laughs) that train. um, Warbler living the best life. I know. But anyway, they return. So we put these tracking devices on them and and, uh, it helps us understand where they go, the habitat they need. So Katie has been very busy out in a number of places, Lake Martin, um, Blue Bonnet Swamp, uh, Lake Moripaw. Uh, Palmetto Island, and the, the birds are returning, and they're finding, um, you know, them with the tracking devices on. They're getting the tracking devices and getting the data. But so those birds are returning, but also birds along our beaches are returning. Um, Audubon, Louisiana, is having um, a weekend coast to coast of uh, volunteer activities, and we're going to be out at Grand Isle and Holly Beach in Cameron Parish um, on Saturday, nice April fourteenth, um, and we're going to be putting up fencing. Did you tell Lori Cormier? We'll have to tell Lori, you know, hey, (laughs) we do not discriminate. We are, you know, in Grand Isle. We're in, uh, you know, Southwest. We'll go anywhere the birds are. So we're going to be putting up fencing, helping some of these birds that literally nest on the beach. They they dig a little hole with their like claw and that's where they nest. And you can hardly see them and they're very vulnerable. So we want to make sure that they are protected from, you know, traffic and predators and that sort of thing. Um, you can email Nick Dixon, N-D-I-X-O-N, at audubon.org if you want to get involved and volunteer. Um, and that'll be a great weekend. It's Saturday, April 14th. What else do we have going on? Um, we have a CPR, CPRA board meeting in the upcoming weeks. We have something called the Mississippi River Commission. That's um, an important commission that actually um, looks at the Mississippi River and tributaries um, all the way up and down the Mississippi uh, presidential appointees are there and they make a stop in uh, here in Louisiana and it's kind of their high water trip and that's coming up a little bit later on. So they're literally on a boat. They're literally on what a boat. What kind of boat is it? Um, a, I, would a big say, one. I would say a choo-choo boat, but I don't know. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> and then do they like sleep? a big boat? Do they sleep on the boat? They do. They oh, do. Okay. You can get on the boat up river and, and um, certain guests are invited to sail down. They are literally inspecting the rivers and they stop in several places along the route to hear from the public. And so they do this trip in the spring. It's called their high water trip. Uh, obviously, we had some excitement there with the high water. And then they come back again in the fall and do a low water trip. Very so, cool. Yeah, and then yeah. we also have our tall ships thing coming up. Have I you heard that. about that? I did. I can't wait to take the kids. I think yeah, I that'll that. be so cool. I think it's uh, in a few weeks yeah, at the yeah, end the of the 20s, month. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another great show. Yes. You know, what is better to talk about and than Dockville the live oak? Week. We're going to continue with the oak themes. We're going to have Chris Haynes um, from Dockville Farms Marrow Foundation on, as well as... I'm going to brush um, up on my St. Bernard. Yeah, we are We are getting into St. Bernard culture next week. Yes. We're going to talk... Red gravy, brown gravy. I'm red gravy, it. brown gravy. We're going to talk to um, representatives from Crevasse 22, which is a beautiful uh, outdoor art and environmental space in Poitras. So we're looking forward to getting down to the parish and talking about some art. Um, yeah. Oh, at as we like to call it. (laughs) Um, But anyway, thank you all for listening to Delta Dispatches. It's been another great week. Um, And next week is episode 50. So get your birthday. I think think we're going to do like Groundhog's Day. Get your cake, get your champagne, um, and get ready to celebrate. Thanks again for listening.